everyone. Welcome to Shit. I just quit my job. I'm your host, Maricela Herrera, and I'm so, so happy you're listening. Thank you for taking some time out of your busy day to hang out with me. Today, my guest is Hadi Mendes, someone I highly respect in the area of DEIB. And just in case, <laughs> I'm going to go a couple steps back. For those of you who are not familiar with the acronym, and because it's one that you will be hearing throughout this episode and just in general in my podcast, because it's a topic I care about a lot, it's part of my prior work, DEI, or better yet, DEIB, stands for Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging. It's very much a term that is used in the corporate world, and it is the work we do, many of us, we have uh, quite a few DEI warriors out there, myself included. <laughs> it is the work that we do within companies to make the playing field much more fair and even. So it is all the efforts that go into recruiting diverse talent or recruiting underrepresented talent. But more than that, it is the work that is done so that that talent can flourish within companies. That means having to have psychological safety. That means having policies and practices and a culture of belonging. That means many, many, many different things. Hattie is super passionate about this as well. So it's not really surprising that we bonded when we met. She's made it her life's calling to work against injustices and is doing all the things to expand the conversation around DEIB. I met Hattie when she was going through a moment of transition herself. She had just been laid off from her role as head of equality at Slack. It's been a while, but it was around the time, you know, last year there were tons of tech layoffs and those continued this year in, you know, peaks and valleys. But Hattie was one of the people that was affected by those layoffs. Having this conversation, the one you're about to hear with Hattie at this point, so when time has passed from her layoff, it felt a little bit like coming full circle in a way. It was really cool to talk to her and see how her perspective has morphed and shifted. And she has tons of great advice as someone who has been through multiple reinventions. And she said it a couple of times and I loved it. She's like, I have no shame in reinventing myself. And I feel like we all need to have that. That level of power and confidence to know that we are capable of reinvention. Anyway, lots of great advice, lots of stories, and we talk a lot about what's happening with her as she's continuing her journey post-corporate life. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Hattie's lots of fun. You'll see. So let's start with my usual. Can you introduce yourself to the audience and just give them a little bit of background about you? I always think it's better when it comes from the person. Okay, cool. Hi, everybody. 
Uh, I am Hari, and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. I am Latina. I identify as a woman of color. I am Puerto Rican. I am technically New York Rican. If we're gonna if we're gonna get like as specific, that's what I am. I'm a New York Rican, born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, which is where I am right now. And a little about me. This is such a good question because this is not an interview, so maybe I can take it a different direction. But you take it wherever you want. Yeah, I will say, um, let's see. A Latina who's mostly spent time in tech and financial services, have spent time in the nonprofit space. So about five years uh, there, a little bit volunteering overseas. And then I spent three years working at a school as a community school director. I've spent some time in tech in many, many customer facing roles, which I really love and have enjoyed quite a bit. And my most recent role was as head of equality at Slack. And right now I am the owner and the CEO and the founder of Boldly Speaking, which is a DEI speaking coaching consulting company that I started back in March. And I am very proud of. I'm also a board member for a couple of boards, nonprofits. I have spent a lot of time in the ERG space and I am on the advisory board for an ERG leadership conference. Yeah, that's a little bit about me. Love it. So you and I met... In the last year, more or less, because I remember I was already in, in the CEO role at Elevate, and you were just coming out from your time at Slack. It's been interesting for me to see how you have, from that moment, created your company, been doing so many speaking engagements, been doing so many, so much consulting work in the DEI space, which is something I'm very passionate about, as you know. And I just wanted to say it really is, it inspires me because I came out of Elevate being like, I have no clue what I'm going to do. And seeing that, it just, it makes me very happy to see someone who's kind of just taking it and gone with it and done, you know, doing really cool stuff. So just wanted to say that. Thank you. Thank you for that. I feel like the universe is dragging me <laughs> to where I need to be. I am like kicking and screaming and the universe is like, this is where you need to be. And so it's interesting to hear you say that. And at the same time, I don't think I've done that much to create what's been happening. It's kind of been happening to me in a, in a sense. So that's a interesting, I, I guess, share. You know what I've realized talking to all these people through this podcast is most of the time, it's just the universe pushing us somewhere. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about kind of going way back when you were working more in the nonprofit sector, when you were doing missionary work. How was that? How did you first go into the nonprofit world? How did you get into the missionary work? And then how did you make that decision to move from that? I've pivoted a lot in my journey and I've only like look realized that like recently because I'm looking back and I'm trying to tell my story and I'm like, oh gosh, I have like 10 different careers that I've had over the years. That's what makes people interesting, I think. I, yeah, I agree. I, I think I'm a little bit, I don't know how you would describe, but I guess I get bored easily. And also I'm like, well, that sounds good. Let's go do that. And I have like no shame in my game. I also like I'm young at heart. So I'm like, I'm so even now I'm still trying to pivot. God help me, but I, I'm I'm pivoting even still. So, but to answer your question, that was a time in my life that a lot of stuff was happening. 
some of the big things that were happening during that time. So by the way, I was about 20 years into my career when I decided to go on mission. So I had a fully established career, six-figure salary, nice bonus, perfectly comfortable, no reason to rock the boat. I could have just stayed exactly where I was. But I had lost my mom and my sister within a short amount of time. And I do believe that when you lose, um, well, at least for me, my experience, uh, having experienced that loss, it made me evaluate my life and like my purpose and like the legacy I wanted to leave behind. Like you you can't help but think about those things, right? Like literally I'm writing out obituary and I'm like, well, what's my obituary going to be like? And what am I going to like have done when, you know, it's all said and done? So there was a lot of personal like reflection and just like thinking about like, why am I here? What's the point? Why did, why am I on the earth and what am I supposed to be doing? So I do feel like that's a lot of what was happening during that time. And I was living in Florida. So I had just moved to Florida in 2012 for work. And I was with the same company and I moved to do a different job. Um, I moved to central Florida. And so yeah, during that first year, it just wouldn't go away. And it was really interesting because as I was thinking about going on mission, I was meeting missioners, like talking to people, and they were like, it's going to be really hard. And maybe sometimes you won't have water or you won't have hot water. You won't have like a washing machine. You may not have, like they were telling me how hard it was going to be. And then I would wake up one day and be like, no, it's going to be too hard. I'm not going to do it. And then, then, and then like by the end of the day, I would like read stuff online my God, it's going to be like a transformational experience. I have to do it. And then like the next day I would talk myself out of it. This went on for about a year, but I did in the meantime apply for a couple of programs and I got into a program with Franciscan Mission Service. And the thing that I loved about them is that they had a ministry of presence. So their ministry wasn't like, you know, we're knocking on doors with like a Bible. It was just like accompanying people in in their life's journey. And that was very, uh, I aligned myself quite a bit with that ministry because I felt like that's all I that's all I want to do too is just like be with people and you know in whatever it is that they're going through uh, obviously if I'm going to go on mission to a poor uh, underserved place then it's going to be life's challenges I'm going to be with them as they experience difficult things in life and I feel like I have a good personality for that Myers-Briggs wise I'm an ESTJ the T being the very important part I'm not easily rattled. And that's not to say that I don't experience sadness and like, you know, uh, emotions, but like, you're not going to see it. I have a good poker face for that. And so, you know, I'm like, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to get over this? You know, I, so just, yeah. kind of, you're not an emotional Latina like me. <laughs> I am though. I, 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 I always make fun of the fact that I was called that. <laughs> but I don't cry a lot. I get angry. But I don't. I get ang. I I would say I'm easily angered or easily frustrated. And you'll you'll know when I'm angry, or you'll know when I'm upset, or you'll know when I'm like shut shutting down. Like that part is gonna be obvious. But in terms of like sadness and crying and like allowing myself to like go into that, like people told me some very sad stories, and I would just be like, wow, that sounds really hard. But it wouldn't. It wouldn't make me cry. Like. Uh, uh, authentically like it just yeah. did not make it made me sad but it didn't make me cry but but that's the kind of person you need yeah. to be to be in and out of the jail every day and which is where I volunteered I worked with incarcerated and formerly incarcerated women and the stories I heard I can't share them all here but they were 
very sad. A lot of people were incarcerated, according to them, for not having done the thing that they were accused of. Some people were accused of crimes that they did commit, but like it, a lot of it was like self-defense or like survival or just very complicated. I would say what I learned and walked away from in talking to the women that were in prison is that it's very complicated. And like, you know, I'm probably one decision away if I live there from being in prison myself, because it's like, it's just that one decision and you're like in this very difficult path and both options are extremely bad and hard and difficult and you just pick the wrong one. And then all of a sudden you end up in jail. It's a, it's a different justice system than the United States. Mm-hmm. Meaning that if you're poor, mm-hmm. you're, well, I guess maybe that's not that different. If you're four, you're, you're you probably and you're in jail, you're probably going to have a very hard time getting out. Mm-hmm. Where were you doing your missionary work? I was in Cochabamba, Bolivia. Bolivia. It's the third largest city in Bolivia. And Bolivia is the poorest country in South America. Yeah. Just wanted to clarify that. 20 years into your career and taking the step, clearly you were you were going through stuff, right? Like you said, you had lost your mom and your sister. So you're going through a period of grief, but also you moved. But also, like, it was a lot of changes in your life. And what in the end, because you said it was a year of you going back and forth on, like, it's going to be too hard, going to be, too, you know, this is what I need, but it's going to be too hard. What in the end made you say, I'm doing it? I felt it was my purpose. Like, that's why I'm here. I was here to accompany the people and like immediately felt in my element, like as soon as I got there. But like, I mean, obviously there was like a lot of preparation on the way there, which also you you get an option to like opt out all along. So you go to this thing called formation and after formation, you could be like, thank you very much. This was very nice, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going. And so all along you have that you know, your foot like halfway in and halfway out. But I felt like I had lots of questions even during that formation process. And I, you know, um, there were a lot of like, I would call them spiritual directors who like helped me navigate the questions I had and the fears that I had and the tension that was there. But in the end, I just kept, I felt cold. And so I was like, I think I'm supposed to be there and there's something that I'm supposed to do down there. So I went. I had never been to South America before, had never been in Bolivia before, and I packed my bags for two years to go live there. It was one of the most difficult and challenging times in my life, and it was also one of the best times of my life. I can imagine. I mean, those are the times where you get to know what you're made of and also get to see the world in, I don't know, completely different pair of glasses. I I don't even know how to say it, but you're seeing it from a completely different perspective because you're with people you would have never been with in in a different situation in a country that you would have never been in in a culture that's you know, you're still Latina but it's we say this, we used to say this at the Latina community circle at Elevate, right? Like we're all we're all Latina, we all have like that kind of thread, but it's so different everywhere. Can I tell you a story about that? Yes, please. (laughs) Get a a quick one. But I had to go to, even though I spoke Spanish, I was required to go to language school for the first two weeks that I was there. And, you know, my peers, they went to language school for like probably a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months. But I went for two weeks. And mostly it was like reading newspaper articles and like watching movies because I already spoke the language. So they were just trying to make sure like 
I had a good understanding and I was watching movies that were like Bolivian movies. So I could like learn a little bit about like the culture. Mm-hmm. But in in that process, one of the instructors told me that I was casi Latina. <laughs> and uh, for your for your listeners, that means like almost Latina, which I consider myself Latina, you know, my whole life. But, you know, but to your point, they consider me American or gringa or, or whatever. And like, they were like, wow, you're, you're almost Latina. Like, cause you speak the language and you seem to have comprehension of our culture and like, you know, the music and food and stuff, but you're almost like us, but you're not quite like us. And like that kind of was like, like, you know, yeah. it stunned a little when I heard it. And yeah, I'm sure they meant it in the nicest way possible, but it's stung a little to be referred to that way. As I was saying about it, like, it's, seeing the world in a different lens, it also kind of shakes your identity a little bit when you're, you know, I remember when I was called the emotional Latina, which clearly stuck with me. It's been like eight years and I still like (laughs) nibble on that. I had a college professor call me hyper hottie. (laughs) I won't even get into details. That was not a fun nickname. And And then I ended up like not doing that great in the course, like about halfway through, I was like, like, running like maybe a B or B plus. And he had a talk with me. He was like, you're an A student. Why are you not getting A's? I said, because of you keep calling me hyper hottie. I'm like, I was shut down. That I was talking to you earlier about shutting down. Like people will know when I, I would just shut down in that class. So I was like suffering. My, my grades were suffering. And he was like, did not realize that hyper hottie was having that kind of impact on me. And he stopped calling me that. And then I got an A. Thank you for sharing that, because I think sometimes we don't realize what words can mean and like how you just can say something off the cuff and you might not mean anything bad by it. I remember the person who called me an emotional Latino is actually, you know, someone really high up and it shook me. And, you know, a professor, someone that has certain power or Ah, says something and of course it's gonna it's gonna and everybody laughed every time he said it I think actually after a while they got bored of it too but like they laughed at it obviously for a while so like the whole class is laughing I mean you think that's not gonna have an impact of course it will no so you were saying you decided to go because you felt that was your life's purpose I hear a lot of talk about purpose, both in my past work, but also as I've been talking to people, it's been interesting how much this sense of purpose comes, you know, we make a lot of decisions based on. I am a firm believer that purpose can change and shift through your life. Like it depends on where you are and what you're going through and what's happening around you in context. It does change. Um, I'm in the process of refinding my purpose. Um, you had that very different experience. How did your purpose change, if at all, afterwards? And do you think part of that experience seeped in in some way to kind of the future of what you were going to do with your life when you came back? I actually don't think my purpose has changed very much. It looks a little different, maybe. Uh, so it's it's evolved in terms of what it looks like. But I think the purpose has not changed very much, which is a, a lot of what I feel my purpose is, is to speak out on behalf and advocate on behalf of people that are experiencing 
like inequities or inequalities. So I feel like if I keep that as like a high level purpose, my mission work is aligned with that. When I worked at the school as a community school director and work with families is aligned with that. When I was the head of equality at Slack is aligned with that. Like, you know, what I'm doing now is still aligned with that. And what I hope to do is still aligned with that. So like I, I have like some interests and things that I'm like dabbling in and exploring and it's still very much aligned with that purpose. So yeah, my experience is not too much that it changes, maybe evolves a little bit, looks a little different, but it is like super consistent because this is not a new thing. It didn't just start when I went on mission. Right. It was way before then. I could think about it throughout my life that I that, you know, I was always like advocating for other people. I had a um I would never remain silent in the face of inequity. Like I was like, wait a second, that's not fair. Even when I was a little kid, I was like, wait, like that doesn't even make sense. What are you saying? Like, so I, I do feel, I remember when I was in you know, in college, a professor would say like, oh good, well we're, this is gonna be on the test. And I'm like, wait a second, you barely taught us this today and it's gonna be on tomorrow's test. Like that's, how is that fair? And everybody in the class would be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's right, Hadi. That's what we think too. But like no one would, no one else would say anything, but I would like call them out on it. And they're like, you're right. You're right. Like, so I mean, I felt like it's not the first time, but it does, it's been consistent, but it takes different forms, kind of morphs a little bit. I actually really admire people who have that consistency in what they want to do um, or not do, but what they want to achieve or what mark they want to make. It's not easy to keep that kind of this is what I'm what I'm passionate about this is where I'm going with it and and find different ways of accomplishing that yeah I was I was gonna say because when I was a customer success manager there wasn't inequity there necessarily you're still advocating though but there was advocacy exactly there was still like I was the voice of the customer right and I took that role very seriously so I still found alignment there and it was I very much enjoyed that work and I was very successful in that work. And it was because I still had the opportunity to advocate for my customers. Yeah. I do want to talk about when you went into tech because you just mentioned your time in customer success. What was that shift like going from, you know, nonprofit education to more of the tech world, which is very, it's a harsh place to be. In my previous role, so before I went on mission, I worked at Accenture as a consultant. So I was a system, you know, a, a tech person for three years when I worked there. And I faced off to customers and did programming and testing and analysis and design. And then I also, in financial services, always worked at the intersection of tech and financial services. So I was always part of like the IT area. So I was always either programming or project management or doing some product work. I was always in the tech space, so to speak, some different kind of work. It wasn't it wasn't like customer success per se, but I do feel like I felt very much at home in a tech. Like in my first company that I worked at after the school was Cloudflare. And I felt very much at home. Like I was like, yep, I know I got to learn the product. I got to, you know, talk about like work with the customers, find out what they're looking for, make sure their use cases are getting addressed, make sure they're being, you know, like, so I kind of knew it, even though I had never done that work per se, I still felt like I had done aspects of the work in my previous life. So it wasn't too much of a departure for me. Well, obviously there was a little bit of an adjustment period. Right. 
I had also spent five, you know, five years away from corporate and I had spent yeah, two years away from, from the country. So there was a lot of like re-entry stuff that I had to experience, but I am someone who, you know, once I commit to something, I'm like, I'm in it. And I just found, you know, was very committed to making it work and to be successful. I actually won um, Customer Success Manager of the Year, my first year as a Customer Success Manager with Cloudflare. I'm not surprised. <laughs> I want to talk about your move to DI because I think that's a very interesting story, how you went, you know, you were working at Salesforce. Knowing that your purpose is to advocate and like that part of it, I guess you were interested in the DEI work. And you said you were very familiar and worked with a lot of ERGs. Yep. I think everyone who listens to me will know what ERGs are, but just in case, employee resource groups. Tell me a little bit about that, kind of that change, because you've told me in other conversations, and I think it's very interesting for our listeners to hear how you you actually can go and say, this is what I want to do and find a way to do it within the place you are sometimes if the company is agreeable to it yeah i was very interested in that uh dei work even when i joined as a customer success manager and you know i very quickly joined latino force which is salesforce latinx erg i joined salesforce women's network which is the women's erg and i i joined all the ergs i did all the things i was like Part of uh, there was a meetup called Women Who Mule, and I like was on the leadership of that. I represented um, Salesforce and like Latinas in Tech conference, Tequeria, LTX Quest. Like I was always, you know, um, sharing my experience as a Latina in tech. So I was always doing all the things. And even as when I was a customer success manager, I actually started a reverse mentoring program in my department. Yeah, it was a pilot program and that ended up getting officially adopted by the organization, but it was the sales organization. And I convinced the sales leader that, hey, wouldn't it be cool to increase like, um, you know, th this whole notion of courageous conversations? What do you think if we pair senior leaders with some underrepresented talent and see if we can get some conversations going and get people a little bit more comfortable with, you know, kind of being a little bit more vulnerable, asking questions, as, you know, being like, I don't really know what that is. What does that mean? You know, so uh, they were agreeable and we started a pilot. We had six pairs. I curated all the content and all the discussion questions and everything. And that worked. Like I said, we adopted it. I did that all on the side of my desk. Of course you did. I was not getting paid. I did the ERG work on the side of my desk, women who mule on the side of my desk, Latinas in tech, chef, alpha, everything on the side of my desk. But I was like, y'all, I, I need to get paid for this. Uh -huh. So I was, I was having conversations with lead, different leaders at Salesforce's Office of Equality to share my interest, make sure that they knew that I was very interested. It wasn't just a hobby for me or something that I was doing that I wanted to continue to do on the side of my desk. I wanted to officially do this as my full-time job. And it took about a year for me to actually, you know, for the the right opportunity to present itself. So it wasn't like, I, I just want to like make sure people have the right expectation that it's not like the next week they gave me a job. It was like a year till I expressed interest and consistently met with people and expressed interest until I actually the right opportunity presented itself and I got the head of equality job at Slack. And I will say a year is not that long. 
Yeah. And, and thankfully, you know, I was still doing all the things off the side of my desk, which I really enjoyed. Plus, I enjoyed my job as customer success manager. It wasn't something that I was like unhappy with. I enjoyed it, too. It was like these are two sides of me that are both equ- I equally like give to. And so I was enjoying my time as a uh, customer success manager. I actually had gotten promoted. So I joined in January. By the next February, I got promoted to senior principal CSM. And then in May, I took this other job and I became the director of quality. So, it, you know, kind of things moved quickly when the, when the time is right, things, uh, everything is going to align, all the mood, the stars. Going back to the beginning, right? Talking about the universe. Yes. Yeah. Which is interesting to me to hear that you were having you were having, you know, a good career. You were happy with your job. You liked what you do, but you still went ahead and changed. What was it that really made you go like, yeah, you know, all the trouble of getting to this is worth it? I think it's that calling that I talked about earlier. Like it's that it's this thing inside. It's a yearning. It's desire, fire, just something that is like literally it's like a magnet that's like it's drawing me to this other thing and the thing that you're in doesn't have to be bad which right. is I think a good thing for people to know because that's I think an assumption that people make is like this is I reject this because I want or I want that and I'm rejecting this and it's like well no this other thing was fine and this other thing is really what my heart wants or at least you know, what I believed is what my heart wanted. And you don't know. You just got to take the chance. I, mean, I guess you got to be willing to take the chance to see if it's if it is the right fit and if it, you are going to thrive and be successful. Yeah, I, that's a really good point. And that's kind of what I'm trying to also convey here. I, I left a job I loved. Like, I absolutely loved my job. It just was time. And, yeah, you know, you have that feeling inside of like, oh, there's something more. Anyway, yes. So you were at Slack and you were affected by some of the layoffs that happened in the tech sector. You had put so much of your heart into getting this role in the quality sector. And then shit, you know. Yeah. Right. The world's turned upside down by COVID and things change and then you're in this spot. How did you kind of get yourself back on the you know I can I can do this I, I, I and I don't know if you did or did not feel I, I always kind of assume that when you're going through things like that even I feel like I've been going through a long period of grief so I always wonder what what's going through your head at a point like that well I was definitely disappointed I was sad I also like you said felt like oh my gosh, I worked so hard to get here and now it's been taken away from me. But, um, you know, the universe sometimes is looking out for you and I feel like I also was struggling in in, in some ways too. I felt like I was not necessarily uh, set up for success. Mm-hmm. There were some challenges that I was experiencing in role. And I physically was not doing very well. I was getting really bad headaches. I was having bad stomach aches. I was, I was like, all of it was like my body was not well. And just to shut it down and have like, okay, now we're just going to take a break. 
I focus on just taking care of myself. And I felt like I I don't want to say broken. That's too strong of a word. But I was fragile. Yeah, I was I was in need of some TLC. And I gave it to myself. I went on a retreat. I went to Puerto Rico. I saw my family. I changed my diet to mostly plant based. I was walking and exercising more, going to physical therapy, just doing all these things that really were helping me to feel physically better. And I don't read that part at all like I'm like that was a blessing in disguise as far as I'm concerned so I feel like it was very sad what happened it was not what I had hoped for and at the same time maybe it was what I needed and I am in a much better place because of it I'm happy to hear you took some time off and went and went to Puerto Rico it's not very often in our adult lives that we get to take a pause you know, either forced or not, but it's not that often. I think it's always. And it's been lovely. Yeah. Now I'm used to it. So now I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know. Like, well, well, so this, so this is the other part. I was, I, I have been looking for full-time work and I've gotten to a point in my search where I think I'm just going to turn my attention to the business now. I don't, I don't know if I'm like officially off the market, but like, I don't think you ever should be officially off the. No, yeah, my intentionality is not is not going to be there as much as it has been, and I think I am going to focus more on my business because that's where all of the doors have been opening. That also allows me to continue this life that I've built over the last few months, months, which has been very good for me health wise. So, like preparing my own meals getting a lot of opportunity to exercise and move during the day, keeping my my physical therapy routine. So I'm not in physical therapy anymore, but I'm doing all my stretches and that's like really important. And just doing all those things that have been so restorative for me. I, you know, I, I worry, this is a worry of mine that if I go back to like corporate, that it's like, I'm going to be back in that hamster wheel again. And it's just going to be all shot to shit. And I'm like, I want to be healthy, hottie. Talk about something that starts with an age. I feel that so much. I am so scared. And I and look, I haven't started looking for a job, which I probably should. But I can't get myself to do that because I feel so much better right now than I was feeling six months ago. So how did you decide to actually start doing things on your own? I always had it in the back of my mind, but um, a, a lot of companies don't allow you to have like side businesses, like you have to disclose them. And if they're like related to the job you have, then you might not be able to do it. So it, you know, kind of like a conflict of interest. So I felt like it really wasn't something that I could do when I was the head of equality, but it was absolutely something I could do as a free agent. So I just said, F it. I'm going to try and see what happens. And like I said, a lot of opportunities have been coming to me, which is just very interesting. You know, it, like I said uh, earlier, a little bit of this has been like me kicking and kicking and screaming. It's like, no, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to find a full time job. And it's like, no, but the, these are the doors that are opening. These are where the opportunities are coming. This is where the demand is. So I've kind of embraced it a little bit. I also have like kind of um, opened up the, um, I guess, the spectrum of opportunities that I that I want to go after, not so much as an entrepreneur, but as a full-time employee. So, you know, I was looking at only DEI, internal DEI roles. Now I'm looking at a lot of nonprofit roles. So that's been kind of opening things up a little bit for me. And there's like, I'm very interested in like 
Latinx entrepreneurship and like that whole ecosystem. And so that's another thing like that's opening up and I'm like, oh, I like that. And that's interesting. And again, that totally is in line with my notion of, you know, uh, addressing uh, inequities in the world and advocating for people. So I'm like, there's a, you know, like if you look at it, if you look at like what I consider to be my purpose, there's a lot more that I could be doing that's not just pure DEI work. And considering the amount of scrutiny that those roles are under right now, and also it's always been very niche and like, you know, it's like, there's one DEI, you know. What is this thing? Like 10 people. <laughs> yeah. And a couple of soldiers. So it's like, given that, I'm like, it, this is, it's like finding a needle in a haystack. I need to really expand my horizon. So I'm expanding my horizons. I'm focusing on my business. I don't even have a business plan. I never put a business plan together. And I'm planning to do that in the month of November. So I'm very excited because I plan to, in January, like, launch the business I, I would consider what i've done up to now like a soft launch and i'm gonna like do the real launch in january so i mean i don't know it, it, i'm not in a terrible place like it's very uncertain and that's the part that's like contrary to me because i'm like i got my whole calendar planned and i like having everything ducks in a row and there's a lot of uncertainty in where i am right now but it doesn't feel as scary as i thought it was gonna I have three questions, actually, that are kind of related to one what you're just saying. One is, you're saying you opened up your search. Did you go through any exercise or process or how did you realize, you know what, I can look into these other areas, like the Latino entrepreneurship space, and it would be right for me? I guess I ask that from my perspective because I, I'm I'm thinking about like where, what do I look for if I do go down that path? It's great to say I open up my 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 prospects, I open up my mind, and but it is a process to get to that point too. I think a lot of it has been like interview prep and like rewriting my resume. And it's like I, I, I did this thing, I, I created my own little tool and it's like a personal inventory. And it's like, what are my superpowers? What am I good at? Like, what are the skills I bring to the table? Where have I worked? What are the roles that I've had? Like, it's like, I'm, I do an inventory of myself and I'm like, oh, actually I could do a lot of jobs with this. Like now that, that I mean, like there's a lot of opportunity here. So why am I just like stuck in this one place? And I feel like maybe it was a little bit of like expectation that it was just like, well, I, this is a job I had. So so surely this job I will go back to. And it's like, well, no, you, you don't have to. And especially because I haven't found a, a role and I feel like I got to help the universe help me. And I'm like, well, let me, let me, you know, be more open, be more willing to go a little bit outside of the box and not be so, you know, I told you, I'm. it doesn't scare me to reinvent myself. I have like no shame in it. And I, I'm very, that's like, I'm proud of that because not everybody does that and is willing to take those chances. And I'm like, I'll start from the beginning again. I'll do it. If I, I'll go to a field and I'll start from the beginning again and I'll work my way up. If that's what has to happen, I'll do it. Yeah, so I, I do feel like that personal inventory helped a lot. I'm happy to share with you. It's nothing scientific or like grandiose. But it was it was helpful in that exercise. And I feel like the more I talk about myself, the more I was putting together my my like, what are the highlights of my career for my resume? It was like a lot of it was around programming and around 
other things that weren't just DEI. And I'm like, I actually do have a broader skill set that I could be leaning on and drawing from. So why limit myself? Yeah, I would love that if you could share it with me. I'm trying to do exercises that people share on the podcast and then kind of like talk about my own figuring it out. Okay. So that would be cool. I could put that as a mini sode after this. The other questions I had, because I said I had three. That was one. Two was, similar to that within your business, you're doing different things, right? Like you're not just doing one thing. How did you kind of come up with like, these are the things I'm doing, which probably is related to my third question, which is how are these opportunities getting to you? Because you're saying like they're coming to me. I, like you, have always had in the back of my mind, like, I kind of want to do something for myself, but I'm really scared about the fact that if I try to do something on my own, like, would anyone want it? How do you get out of your head? So it's kind of like two parts, right? Like, how did you figure out these are the things I can do on my own and people would pay for it? And did you ever have to get out of your head, kind of jump that hurdle from, I know I can do this? to like, I know someone will pay. Yeah, it's definitely been evolving. So I started off with speaking because that was something I had been doing so much. I was often called upon to be part of panels when I was an ERG leader, when I was, um, you know, acting as head of equality. Like, it's not like a recent thing. It's been years in the making and I really enjoy it. Like my sister always says, you're like Oprah Winfrey. Like, you're our our version of Oprah Winfrey. So I'm like, okay, so that is easy. I enjoy it. I can, I can, I can do that. So I started off there, but what I uncovered or discovered is that that's not going to pay the bills. That alone won't pay the bills. And, you know, like somebody was like, are you, you know, how much are you earning? Like you should be making $50,000, you know, speak. I'm like, I am like years away probably from that happening so that I'm not fooling anybody. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, it's okay. I don't need to be there just yet. And I understand that I need to like kind of earn my stripes a little bit and develop as a as a as a speaker. So I'm okay with that. I'm on my journey. I'm on my way. I'm not in the beginning. I'm a little bit, you know, uh, a, a little bit more advanced in the beginning, but I'm in the early stages. But after uncovering that, like, hey, that's not going to pay the bills. I was like, I need some other stuff that I can do, especially if I could get some recurring stuff. And so that's where some like consulting gigs or coaching gigs really come in handy. And it was like kind of natural. Like somebody was like, hey, do you work with ERGs? And I'm like, I'd be open to it. Like, sure, why not? Like I've been part of the ERG ecosystem for about 20 years. I think I I could definitely have a point of view and give you some perspective. And I'm part of an ERG ERG leadership uh, conference advisory board. So I do how I hear about lots of different ERGs and how they approach things and what are some best practices and and that sort of thing. So so that kind of like just naturally was a next step. And and quite frankly, my goal or the goal of boldly speaking is just to advance DEI and inclusion broadly. So then anything goes. So it's like, oh, you want coaching so you can be a better leader? Great. Let's talk about it. You want your ER, you know, you want me to inspire your ERG and talk about like the art of what's possible? Sure, I'll do that. And, and then so it's a little bit of like ER, my ERG expertise and my speaking. And now I bring those two skills together to really uh, inspire and motivate ERGs to see like you're just in the early stages, but here's what you could be. Here's some of the strategies you can use to get there. And so I think they're all like super related. And 
I think I'm scratching the surface, to be honest with you. Like, I think about that all the time. I'm like, what else could I be doing? What else should I be doing? I make a list of things that I could be doing. And I'm like, when the business plan comes, I'm going to just make it up, have fun with it, get excited. I'm doing it my way. And I've had so many people be like, oh, are you part? Like, do you have a mentor? Are you part of this, like, program where people can tell you how to, you know, do your business? And I'm like, I fortunately have a little bit of like runway so that I could learn by doing and I'm just going to do it my way and I'm going to learn as I go and I'm going to probably make some mistakes. But like it's all going to be like the way I want it to be. And I'm very excited. I I know it's a privilege to get to do it that way. But at least for now, that's my the way I've been approaching it. I love that. I really do. Throughout these transitions, and it can be any of them. What do you think was best advice you've gotten from anyone? It could be either the best advice you've gotten or what would you go and tell yourself if you could? Okay, so I would definitely tell myself not to be afraid, to trust myself, to own my narrative. Those are tried and true lessons that I've learned. But I think the best advice that I got was go where you are appreciated and valued because Ain't nothing harder than trying to fit a a, a square in a round hole like that. It's just, you know, if if it ain't for you, it's just better to just walk away. And and I've been in that situation um, more times than I care to have been. And, you know, it's that's the stuff that was like literally making me sick. And and I feel like I want to be where people value and appreciate me. And I understand that I, I may not be for everyone. But I do feel like there are there's probably organizations out there that would enjoy what and appreciate what I bring to the table. And that's where I want to be. I want to go where I'm appreciated. I love that. I really like that. I really wish that there was a saying in English like, no soy monedita de oro. The, the one I like is uh, uh, that I've heard is, Santo que no me quiere con no restarle basta. And I feel like it's just like, you know, you're not everybody's cup of tea. That's okay. Not everyone's cup of tea. Yep. That's just reality. It's a reality. And and it's okay. And then you just go where you are. Like people see you and they light up and you get to shine and you feel like your best self. And they, your light is elevated and amplified and brought out, not like dimmed and shut down and everything. Yeah. I, I like using that light as a symbol because that's really what it feels like and it it is it feels like I've been dimmed and I also can recall times where I was allowed to shine it's like they removed all the covers and it's like I'm shining so bright you're shining very bright as you're doing all these stuff so thank you for being here for being honest and for sharing this this was fun thank you for having me Thank you for listening to Shit, I Just Quit My Job. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. It means the world to me. Please share with your friends. 